Hello and welcome to the EY Tax and Law in Focus podcast. I'm Susanna Streeter and in this edition, we're going to be getting to know VIDA a lot better. I'm talking about the VAT in the Digital Age proposal and what it's going to mean for companies not just in Europe, but around the world. These proposals, published by the European Commission in late 2022, aim to modernise the VAT system. The proposals include e-invoicing and digital reporting, the single VAT return for trading across the EU, taking into account the growing platform economy which businesses use to facilitate exchanges. One of the significant benefits of VIDA is its shift to digital, which should enable a more efficient, transparent and accurate approach to VAT management. With an increasing number of member states implementing different models of digital reporting, there is clearly need for harmonisation at EU level, and it's hoped VIDA will prevent errors, detect fraud and enhance risk management. So, what steps should companies be taking now to get prepared? What strategic opportunities could VIDA open up? And what role would the tax function be as VIDA is implemented, given it will have business-wide implications? We're also going to be looking at the global implications VIDA might be an EU proposal, but multinationals will need to consider the impact and challenges ahead given their worldwide reach. I'm really pleased to say we have three leading professionals in the field to discuss these questions and more. But before I introduce them, please remember, conversations during this podcast should not be relied upon as accounting, legal investment, nor other professional advice. Listeners must, of course, consult their own advisors. So I'm very pleased to welcome Pierre Ormond, tax partner EY. Hello, Pierre. You're, you're across everything to do with tax technology and have heaps of experience in indirect tax automation. And Pierre, I understand you're also a travel enthusiast. Where in the world are you talking to us from today? I am. Uh, I am talking to you from Dubai today. Well, great to have you here on the podcast with us. And let's also welcome Pierre Deirdre Hogan, EY Island tax partner, who I know is passionate about building relationships, and and also get super excited about innovation. So perfect to have on this podcast. Deirdre, you love to run, I understand. Where have you been heading recently? Thanks, Susanna. Um, Yes, I do. Um, I'm in Amsterdam at the moment, and I had a lovely run around the canals here this morning. Well, it's great to have you here. And let's welcome Ben Woodfield, indirect tax partner for the UK and Ireland, who is a razor-shot focus on finding strategic solutions for tax departments. Ben, I know you're usually found in London. Are you there now? Well, hello, Susanna. Um, completely by coincidence, I'm also in Amsterdam um, this week as well, but I wasn't running around the canals this morning. I was just gently observing the nice weather and the boats going past. Well, I do hope you two get to meet up. Uh, but first of all, l- let's talk and focus right into the subject at hand. Uh, Deirdre, can you set the scene? What exactly will Vida mean for companies? Yeah, I mean, there's three pillars to VIDA, but if we're talking about, I guess, the digitization and the e-invoicing and real-time reporting, um, it's going to mean a significant change for companies. It's effectively going to force companies to digitalize. Um, and that will mean different things for different companies, depending where they are on that journey already. But certainly for a lot of companies who may not be participating in that space at the moment, it's going to be a huge change from a systems perspective, from a process perspective from a a tax management perspective um, in terms of data. So I think a really, really significant change for companies. I think there'll be positives and benefits. And to those changes, be around standardization and that digitalization mandate, uh, which will kind of force every company into into our current century. Um, But the the challenges would be around the cost of implementing it, the burden of implementing it, 
and the challenges some companies will face getting up to speed with it. So lots of changes, big impact on companies, more or less depending on where they are. So Pierre, yeah, as Deirdre is outlining there, this is a huge change, isn't it? I mean, in many ways, it's setting a level playing field, isn't it? What extent would you say this really is a game changer? Yeah, it is. Well, I think it's a, it's a game changer because you have 27 countries trying to coordinate uh, when they're going to go live on a particular piece of legislation, which we see here is, is VITA. I mean, this is not uncommon from the EU where they are trying to harmonize as much as possible all the sort of legislation they are passing as a group. But I think so in this particular case, what's quite interesting is you're going to have different timelines for different countries from now all the way to the 1st of June 2028, right? Where officially by that date, every single EU member country needs to have an e-invoicing regime and an e-reporting regime to place as well. So it's a really big piece of change, exactly as Deidre mentioned, and it's something that companies need to be aware of and start to prepare as soon as possible. Uh, because of that kind of staggered implementation timeline, you may find yourself having to go live in you know, Poland, Romania, in France, versus trying to prepare for Germany and Belgium. Right, so it would be a very complex project, especially for large multi-country companies. So really complex there. So Deidre, do you think timings might have to change in some jurisdictions given this complexity? Yeah, I mean, 2028 seems far away right now, but it's essentially only four and a bit years. And given there's three pillars to the proposal and all of them have to be passed by, by everybody, I realistically would think that that timing will slip. Furthermore, I think the agreement that some jurisdictions, including the Irish Revenue, which we've heard, is that they're looking for agreement on standardization, on e-invoicing domestically, as well as cross-border. And I think that's going to be a harder ask to get um, agreement to, perhaps. So for me, I think, you know, the significant change, the agreement needed across all jurisdictions, I would think that timing will slip. And it wouldn't be unheard of for that to happen across the EU. So yeah, I would expect it to slip, but hopefully not by too much. Well, that's good to hear, uh, given uh, so many companies are gearing up right now. And it's good to have, I think, some kind of a horizon ahead to aim for. But Ben, what's your take on the scale of the change ahead and this horizon? Why did ultimately these changes come about in the first place? I think maybe if I start with, with the last part of your question around what, why has this come about? I mean, ultimately, the, the whole mechanism around collecting VAT as a process is quite a complex one. It relates to chain transactions between businesses and the individuals and organizations almost operate as the administration around collecting this information and collecting this cash and passing it on to the tax authorities. Now that process in itself can be pretty efficient and there is leakage within that process and there's been a real focus around well actually how do tax authorities look to close the VAT gap but also look to prevent fraud in different situations and now with the advancement around technology and data and where they've seen it taking place in other jurisdictions, I think they've seen the opportunity to say, well, actually, the approach around e-invoicing, getting things right the first time, will mean that there's less fraudulent transactions within the system, but also that fat leakage that they're trying to cut away is getting away from it. So that's kind of why it's come about in theory, really. To go to your point around the scale of the change ahead, I think it's a fundamental shift of the way that they do things. And it's a huge amount of change, not only for the tax authority itself, but also the organizations that are trying to deal with that. And ultimately, we know that 
the tax authorities need to take their time to get this right and to try and reduce a burden on the organisations that are trying to administer this. And where we've seen these requirements come into force before, there have been slight delays around it, but I think they've learned a lot of lessons from it. But it takes a lot of effort for them to get that right. But also organisations themselves, a lot of these organisations are vast organisations with complex systems and environments and data, and it takes a lot of change to get this through. Even simple changes within organisations when it comes to data and information take a long time to process that. So we are seeing a fundamental shift, particularly for the big multinational organisations that are operated in lots of different jurisdictions. So this big shift underway. Deirdre, do you think e-businesses and global companies are sufficiently aware and prepared for these changes? I would say that it's a mixed bag, probably. Um, I think as Ben alluded to there, um, you know, the multinationals are aware of it. They're already dealing with it in lots of jurisdictions. So for them, this isn't going to be that much of a surprise. But yeah, certainly for, you know, smaller companies, mid-sized companies, um, those who don't have as large an international footprint, I think they're not as aware of it as they should be um, because of the significance of the change that's coming for them. Uh, and even more so, if you think of smaller domestic companies um, in any of the EU jurisdictions, they may not even be anyway digitalized as of yet. I think this change is going to be massive. So I would say it's a mixed bag. And I think we as advisors need to make sure that we're out there getting the word out about what companies need to do to prepare for this, because regardless of timing, it is coming um, and it'll come around relatively quickly. So Pierre, let me bring you in. What do you think the first steps of companies should be then in, in getting up to speed with the challenges and the opportunities ahead? So I think, you know, trying to understand how are you going to be impacted uh, by this change in the in the different countries where you operating on, I think is a would be the first step. There is also, again, as I said before, timing issue in terms of obviously each country will do a staggered implementation where the largest taxpayers will go first and then go down in size. So at which point in time, depending on your size and where you operate and how much of an operation you have in that country, are you going to be caught in that net is, is very important, right? Um, so that I think is is the first thing. The second one is ensuring that internally you have uh, the right awareness of the different parts of the organization on the scale of that change because even though obviously all of us today are part of tax it is not just a tax change it's a business change right um so it really it will impact every single part of the organization and so everybody needs needs to be aligned on that and then usually at the same time especially if you're a large company your IT resource might be extremely scarce or they might be booked for the next three years already, right? So how do you then align the fact that you may need them and you may need them to do a lot of change sooner than expected because without you being ready to comply with any invoicing which into a particular country, you just cannot do business anymore, right? It's as simple as that. You become non-compliant from day one. So the implications are, are, are big. Uh, and so to get to get ready, I think the assessment phase is very, very important to really understand how you're going to be impacted, what do you have today and where do you need to be in the next three, five or ten years to be able to comply with that and hopefully to also future-proof your business, right? Because as Ben said, that trend is not going to go away, right? The introduction of e-invoicing you know, whether it is in Europe or other parts of the world, is not going to go away because it has shown very uh, clearly 
that it leads to a reduction of the tax gap for for each country, right? So, so this is not going to go away. So people need to be ready. So people really should get in gear right now. And Deirdre, interesting what Pierre there was saying about how this really does have implications for operations right across the business. So should it really be seen as a tax process? Yeah, Susanna, I think it's a tax process and it's part of the tax functions remit, I think, to take ownership of it. But I would agree with what Pierre said is that it's not just tax and they will be the ones who have to shout the loudest to get things started, I think, to to get moving on the requirements. But ultimately, e-invoicing, real-time reporting went down to data requirements and the tax function, as much as the tax process, we need to make sure that that data that is needed to meet the requirements are captured throughout the end-to-end processes. So it's not just a, a downstream piece of you know tax reporting anymore. This is essentially right across the business. It goes into all different business processes, core to report or to cash, etc. So certainly, while it is not just a tax process, tax do need to own it um, and they need to start talking to the other stakeholders in the business to ensure that the data elements and the changes that are required throughout that end-to-end process are put in place, or at least that there's a plan for them over the next couple of years. And going back to you, Pierre, do you think Vida could in fact bring about real benefits to organisations further down the line? We're talking about all of these changes, but what bright spots can you see? Well, I think I think there are there are a lot of them. Like any long-lasting benefit, uh, there is a painful investment first that you need to go through before you will get there. But if you think about what Deidre just said around the fact that this is not just a downstream change, but it needs to be an, an upstream change, right? Because you need to get your transaction right from the beginning, from a tax standpoint, simply because you need to expose those transactions and that data directly to the tax authority straight away. Sometimes they even need to approve that transaction before you can actually complete it, right? So we are moving from a world where you do kind of get all your transaction at the end of, of the month or the period, uh, you massage the data and then you find the VAT return um, to a world where from the beginning, the tax authority has complete visibility on your transaction as a taxpayer. While that might sound scary uh, and it is a big change to kind of how it works today, what that then means essentially is you start to have visibility as a, as a taxpayer and as a business on a lot of the data points that you typically need to wait after your books are closed to start to get a hold of. So it can bring, I think, a lot of benefit in that sense on the visibility side. There is also an efficiency point as well, because e-invoicing in most countries at the beginning uh, is really to kind of smooth the business landscape, right? To make the business landscape easier for all companies in that country to transact with one another and remove friction as much as possible. So having to jump onto the e-invoicing wave also means that you have to improve your cash collection. You have to have better controls in check, right? Which means you get better data faster, which, you know, has a lot of benefit for a whole range of, uh, I would say, part of your organization. Tax, definitely, because we are very data heavy. We are very data heavy 
part of the organization. We, we need a lot of data constantly for every other business, but there is also a huge range of benefits for, for others as well. And I think the, the last thing as well is the investment today that a business might need to make to get ready for Vita can also bring a lot of benefits in the future because what, whatever you are doing today can future-proof your, yourself, right? Which means that then when there is another country that will bring the invoicing, you are basically ready for it, right? You don't need to rip everything off and start from scratch again. You're actually already having place that kind of a platform to be able to deal with that, not just from a technology standpoint, but also from a process standpoint. And your people are used to it. They know how to react to that change and how to manage that change and how long it's going to take as well. Right, so I think there is a lot of that companies should uh, think about as well as some of the benefits they're going to get by being ready for Vida. Absolutely. So, so Deirdre, given the transformations outlined there by Pierre, what extent do you think Vida will enable larger organizations to step back and consider overall strategy rather than, say, seeing Vida as a quick fix solution to immediate issues? I think it gives them a really good opportunity, actually. And I also think it's timely at the moment because um, a lot of companies, not all, but a lot of companies in the market are going through SAP upgrades, moving to SAP as for HANA. And so from a, a tax perspective, they can step back and say to their business, hey, if you're going through this implementation upgrade anyway, then let's talk about tax and let's talk about the tax needs now and going into the future. And let's make sure tax is a seat at the table as we look at the strategy for our ERP system. Um, so that's, you know, very timely, I think. And if, if you're looking in that position, I think that's what tax functions should be doing. If you're not in that position where you're going through already a, an ERP upgrade, um, you should certainly look at it from a strategic perspective and talk to your other stakeholders in the company around what is the IT journey, what is the finance transformation journey in your company over the next few years and how does this fit into that? Um, I think it's just very important that communication of these changes is brought forward to the table, um, to the C-suite, CFOs, the finance leads, et cetera, so that they're aware of it. Um, it is a significant change. It's going to cost a lot of money for companies to implement it. So doing it on a one-off basis doesn't really make sense where it could otherwise fit into wider strategic initiatives of the business. So I think it's very important that they try and look at it from a strategic perspective. Um, and where they can't, where they're, you know, there isn't anything else kind of happening, then they need to make sure that there is an awareness again of the end to end changes in the in the process that is needed. And again, that data elements throughout the cycle um, and in different business processes will need to be updated as well. So I think strategic changes should be should be done on that basis. But ultimately making everyone aware in the business of these changes coming down the line is crucial. So Ben Didge is there talking about you know, the wider strategic opportunities, do you think this could lead to changes in the ERP system? I mean, will VIDA provide the impetus for investing in new technologies coming upstream? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I kind of agree with everything that Deirdre and Pierre has been saying that when managing this change, you've got to look at all the different interactions around the stakeholders, the people, the processes and manage this in a strategic way. But if we just zoom into technology and what does this mean for technology, the ERP system or the technology ecosystems that our clients have? They're going to have to make change and they're going to have to invest in that. Whether that is buying new technology they require to meet these needs or leveraging technology that they've got already in a much more sophisticated way to be able to do that within the ERP. So you're seeing a huge amount of investment within the market from both the ERP providers, but also tax technology providers to get these solutions. So it's definitely clear that they're going to have to spend the money. 
the key is how do you make sure that you invest it in a strategic way? What we've seen to date around requirements when it comes to tax or e-invoicing is a bit of a frantic, we need to respond to each of the tactical needs. And that's led to a lot of investment by organizations, not just in technology, but investment of their time and energy to implement all these solutions, which has led to a bit of a fractured ecosystem. And if we think about what's at the heart of this, at the heart of this is having one source of the truth for data from both a tax perspective for the tax authorities, but also for an organization to be able to manage their risk. So we really need to see a strategy around that investment. And we're seeing the evolution of the role of the tax technologist or the tax process owner. And they've got a key role in here in ensuring that when organizations are looking to invest that technology, getting that business case over the line around investing it in the right way, but building a platform and an ecosystem that can manage these changes not only from a, can we get the invoice out the door, but also, is it reconciling with what we're telling the tax authorities? Does it reconcile with what we're saying for our compliance processes? The other key thing is, these requirements can come thick and fast. We've seen countries go already, but with the announcement of FIDA, it means over the next five years, this is going to come down the line quickly. Those organizations that have taken the time to set the strategy around this, pick the right technology ecosystem are going to be able to manage this in a much more efficient and strategic way than tactically responding to the needs. So they might need to spend some money up from doing that, but longer term, they'll prevent the investment that they need to do every single time one of these requirements comes along. So I can see you nodding, Pierre, as uh, Ben's talking. Uh, what is your take on this? I mean, clearly internal alignment will be needed for this implementation. So how should this be best tackled? Yeah, well, you know, I, I always nod when Ben speaks, that's why. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think he makes, he makes a very good point, right? And if you think about the alignment internally uh, that, that you need to have to be able for one of these implementations to be a success is actually quite tricky. I think one of the challenges that I've seen is sometimes People don't really know where the whole e-invoicing project should sit. Is it tax? Is it IT? Is it finance? Who has the budget? Right? How how much on IT should be involved? Uh, you know, we, we've seen sometimes it's an IT-led project, which, as much as, as I love our IT colleagues, is not the right answer because they they would not understand all the intricacy of what tax needs. And then when tax needs to lead it, you know, this is a big project, right? So it, it could be close to a full-time job sometimes depending on the scale of the project. So how do you have the enough resource to be able to uh, deal with that? And so we've seen quite a lot of challenge in that space around the alignment of the different stakeholders and also the budget. You know, I mean, I had the uh, example quite recently where a client started obviously to get ready for the French implementation of e-invoicing. Now France has pushed the implementation go like that for now. At least we don't know exactly by by how much. And the and the answer of the of the client was well, I cannot not do this project now because I I will lose my budget. Right. So I just need to keep on going. Right. So there is a lot of these quite complex interaction internally that you need to have to make such a project a success because again uh, you know once you want to start to get ready to a go live date or I, I should say a testing date it's not just tax that need to test the system 
right? It's the whole business because in the whole business, we need to use this as a way forward, for instance, from a cash collection standpoint. So is everybody aware on how this is going to work and what they need to do? So to me, that's one of the main challenges, the alignment uh, of internal stakeholders because it touches every single part of your organization or close to it. So it touches every part of the organization, Ben, as, as Pierre has been pointing out. So what are clients telling you then about who should take responsibility for driving this process, given it's going to affect so many parts of the business? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting actually talking to clients and it's almost better off looking at that kind of longer term view. Any, anyone that's kind of worked with me over the last sort of like 15 years, I've always banged on around the importance around technology and data. And there's always been a period of convincing um, our tax stakeholders that it's their responsibility to drive it forward. We're very lucky enough where we spend a lot of time with clients, but we also spend a lot of time with clients in big forums. And I'd say when you go back a couple of years when we were looking at digital tax requirements, there was a general interest from a tax perspective in what these requirements were. But there was definitely the majority of the feeling in the room was this is something that IT and finance are going to sort out for us. So it's our role to let them know it's going on, but really we don't want to lean in and take too much responsibility around the processes and the data because ultimately they're owned by other people. We've seen a seismic shift from that over the last couple of years. And earlier this year, we, were, we, we ran our sort of global forum um, for indirect tax. And the e-invoicing subjects were probably the most subscribed sessions that we were having. But really interestingly, in those sessions, those same people a couple of years ago telling me that they don't want to be involved in this, and actually it's the rest of the responsibility of the business, they're learning from their experience that they've got a massive role to play in this. And as a tax stakeholder, you're ultimately there to partner better with the business. And the role that they've got in e-invoicing is partner better with the business to not only look at the solution in a strategic light, but also start to think about managing risk and helping the client go through that journey. And so there's been a real seismic shift in, I think, the, the, the expectation of the role of tax. The other really interesting thing is you talk about my clients. I probably talk to more IT people and finance people that I've ever spoken to throughout my entire career because once we've got it on the table around e-invoicing and being able to deal with it, that tri-party agreement of working through with clients, how do we deal with it? There's an acceptance between all of those stakeholders that we need to work together to be able to get the right answer. I think there is a misconception that this is one person's responsibility to take care of that. Ultimately, this is a business risk that needs to be managed. And therefore, if you're in tax and you're not engaging in that, or you're thinking that this is not your responsibility, you're falling behind your other organizations at taking that step forward and investing into that journey and thinking about how do we solve this business problem that we've got to be able to get it the right way that could be efficient for the business, but also manages our risk and the responsibility that we've got to our tax authorities. Mm -hmm. So the realization is, is clearly dawning, not just on managing risks and implementation and cooperation, uh, but also the costs involved, as has already been pointed out. Deirdre, how can e-invoicing potentially reduce expenditure over time? What are the prospects for ROI? Um, I think from an ROI perspective, it'll it'll depend on every company, I guess, and where they are and what they actually do and end up investing in this. Because like any technology, you know, you can have state of the art or you can have, you know, just good enough. But I think certainly, um, I think in this Pierre alluded to earlier, you know, e-invoicing will level the playing field. It'll make things easier for businesses. And real-time reporting in itself in of itself. Well, probably anxiety inducing for tax functions at the moment, once they get their data uh, to where it needs to be, they should see a reduction, I would expect, in audits, in penalties and interest uh, for errors. 
uh, because the more automated um, their processes are and the better quality data that they have, which they will need to have if they're going to be reporting transactions in real time, you know, the quality should be better, therefore they should have less errors. So I would say in that sense, um, there'll be a return on investment in time from a tax administration perspective, but certainly, you know, the cost of implementing it and how it's managed, and um, that will again vary uh, on a business by business um, perspective. But at least every company is going to be dealing with the same thing. So there's kind of an equity, if you like, in in how this is being implemented. Albeit, as I mentioned earlier, if you're a small domestic company and domestic e-invoicing is being implemented, you might feel that it's a bit more of an unfair burden in the sense that um, it's going to take you a lot longer to get up to speed. Um, I think there's you know pros and cons for this. But the return on investment, it's a tricky one because it does depend on what the the spend is up front on it. But certainly there are benefits around, you know, cash accounting as well down the line, managing your your transactions, managing your throughput and, and doing so in a, in a real-time basis. Winners and losers in it, I would say, and certainly potential for um, return on investment. But again, it depends on how it's um, implemented. So Ben, we've talked about some of the difficulties or challenges that could be in implementation. What do you think are the biggest risks for companies throughout this process? I think this whole process is really, really challenging. But when I kind of take a step back and think about what's the biggest risk, especially from a maybe from a tax hat on, ultimately it's data. It's the most critical component around your tax position. My view is it's the ultimate goal of the tax function to be able to manage risk, and that risk is in the data. Ultimately, you could build the perfect system and ecosystem by investing in technology, and you could do it in the most efficient way. But if you end up sending data through that system that is incorrect or is not giving the right answer, ultimately you're creating a lot of risk. I think we've had lots of experience with organizations investing in technology and processes before to make their traditional compliance processes more effective. Those organizations that have just seen it as a technology-only solution without addressing the data and the risk of the data going through those systems have not really seen the real effectiveness of, of that investment in technology and they blame the technology, but ultimately it's the actual data going through that. So ultimately for me, I, th I think the biggest risk here for the organizations from the tax perspective is data going through this process with no real control around it. Tax departments to date have been very good at protecting organizations from risk coming from the tax authorities and reputational risk by putting really good compliance processes in place further downstream. The more this gets automated, the more that goes away. So the more pressure is on getting things right the first time. And therefore, the impact on those processes and the outcome of that is the data that goes through those processes. That, to me, is the biggest thing that people are going to have to manage. And staying on that data point, if I can put it that way, Pierre, what kind of further opportunities, perhaps on a global scale, will be to open up, given that it can give the tax and finance function such extensive live granular data? In terms of further opportunities, I mean, if, if you think about where, where kind of the global trends are going, the global trends are showing you that at least from an, an indirect tax standpoint, it's tax authorities wanting more and more data more often earlier on into the process and slowly trying to get rid of the final filing because actually they, they don't need you to file really a return anymore because they have all the underlying data straight away. So I think one of the opportunities as well is as you have tax authorities who are starting to become very, very advanced in their own tech capabilities, 
being ready, you know, and what Vida will help companies to get ready for is being able to match the technology capabilities that the tax authorities have. And so when we are in a world where, you know, you're going to have a slow death of the VAT return, you know, and, and it won't happen by tomorrow, but it might happen, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now, and has already started in certain countries like Poland, for instance, you start to be in a much better position because you have confidence in your data upstream and you can very, very easily challenge whatever the tax authorities is going to say to you on your data, on your, how much VAT you owe them. Whereas if you're not confident on that, you, you start to have less technology capabilities that someone will audit you, which is never a good place to be, right? So I think that's also a, a kind of a confidence point, right? As a, as a business and as a tax function that you can really start to help, you know, your organization to be ready for that. And I think that the third one is if we step outside VAT for, for a minute, because it has such a transactional aspect. There is a lot of opportunities when you know your data and you have visibility on it to start to use that same data set for all those sort of purpose throughout your organization. And if I maybe just give one single example of that, we know that about 40% of the data point that you need for your ESG reporting as a company can come from your indirect tax data because a lot of the data points are similar. So as a tax function, you start to shine really through for your board and hey, I can give you 40% of your whole ESG reporting because I have my game in order, because I know exactly the data that I have, what I can give you, and I'm 100 confident about it. So if we go back to the, there's one of the core that we all talked about throughout this podcast, which is data, you know, getting that in order, allows you as a tax function, not just to get ready for what VIDA and I guess overall e-invoicing and retirement reporting will bring on, but also to start to also help other parts of the organization as well, because you have access and you're confident about that data in the first place. Yeah, really interesting. The extent to which VIDA could be seen is empowering. Well, we are nearly at the end of the podcast now, but just to finish, I'd really like to get a key takeaway from each of you. And I'd like to ask you what really should be at the forefront of mind as companies adjust to this new way of working? What key takeaway should listeners take from this podcast, Pierre? Well, I'm going to be very boring and I'm going to say start early, do not delay it. You may think you have, you have time because such and such country have you know, delayed the implementation. You do not, do not underestimate the impact and the amount of work just at the assessment phase that you need to do in order to get ready. That to me is the key because, you know, it's, it's a bit like when, when you are in school, right? You are being told repeatedly, do not leave it to the last minute and consistently everyone does and feels the exact same way in the business world. You know, you just, you know, all of us find ourselves kind of being like a broken record. Right, just do not leave it to the last minute. Please do not leave it to the last minute and steam a lot of companies do. So that would be if there is one takeaway for people who are going to listen to this is please do not leave it to the last minute. As a parent of teenagers, I really get that right now. Uh Ben, what's your key takeaway? I'd probably go with something along the lines of embrace the change. 
I think we, we, we talk a lot about how difficult this is going to be, how challenging it's going to be, a lot of risk around it. But there's a real opportunity here for organizations to try and embrace this change. It, it's an opportunity to look at what are you doing now that you could do better and use this as a platform to kind of build, well, how are we going to manage this data and this risk going forward? If organizations get this right, not only does it mean that they are compliant with what's going on within the, the jurisdictions, but in theory, it should give them a better platform to look at that data to help them be a better business partner as well, particularly from a tax perspective. Data is key and it gives so much insight to um, tax functions and people that work in tax to be able to give better internal advice to the business, manage the business in a better way. And therefore, instead of looking at this as a burden, properly embrace it, lean into it. Don't be afraid of tackling it. Don't be afraid of talking to stakeholders about it. Really embrace the change and be a change agent because it's kind of setting up the way that you can work for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So there's a real opportunity here. Ben, thank you. And finally, Deirdre. Well, Pierre and Ben stole all the good talking points, so I'll come up with something. But no, it's um, for me, it's, it, you know, t I agree with what Pierre and Ben said, but it's it's around data, Look, data, data, data. I mean, ultimately, if you're going to be reporting in real time, you need to ensure the quality of your data is where it needs to be. And ultimately, that goes back to how are your systems set up and what's your source of data. So it's taking that holistic look at your end-to-end -end process and understanding those data elements and to what Ben said, you know, engaging with your stakeholders, um, all those other relevant stakeholders in the other business processes that you will need to help you get ready for this change. So can't say it enough, data. <laughs> well, thank you all for a really fascinating discussion. Really good holistic podcast, I think, on this subject. Some really great insights on why Vida is set to be such a game changer. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Susanna. Thank you. Thank you very much. And a quick note from the legal team, the views of third parties set out in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the global EY organisation nor its member firms. Moreover, they should be seen in the context of the time in which they were made. I'm Susanna Streeter. I hope you'll join me again for the next edition of the EY Tax and Law in Focus podcast. EY, building a better working world. <laughs>